Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Sung. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace. And uh, for those of you who are regulars, I introduce myself because uh, I'm a bit incognito this morning. I'm wearing this thing called a tie. So uh, this morning, actually, somebody came up to me, a, a person at Grace, and said, oh, hey, are you new to Grace? Because they didn't recognize me in a suit and tie. Well, today we gather to celebrate one simple fact, that Jesus is risen from the dead and make no mistake, we, we might be fans of chocolate bunnies and marshmallow peeps, but there is a whole lot more to be celebrated today. We believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on what we call Good Friday. He was then buried in a tomb, and then that following Sunday morning, he literally rose from the dead, which Christians celebrate all around the world as Easter Sunday. So you have to know that Easter is not just a nice, sentimental family tradition. We have to know that Easter is a celebration of a specific event in history. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no Easter. In fact, without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no such thing as Christianity. Follow along uh, as I read this passage in Scripture that Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he says this, talking about the significance of the resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is, what's this word? Useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is, what is this word? Futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, Paul is saying if there's no resurrection, then you are wasting your time. What are you doing coming to church like what, to sing a few songs and listen to somebody talk about Jesus? If there's no resurrection, you might as well sleep in, brew some good coffee, and take all morning to prepare a hearty Sunday brunch. If there's no resurrection, then what are you doing getting up early? Dragging your kids, or getting them all dressed and rushing them out the door and only to have them cry the whole way here. What are you doing, like giving, and giving to the church or giving to those in need? What are you doing helping those in need? Keep it all for yourself and go on a cruise instead if there's no resurrection. In other words, Paul is saying something powerful here. He is saying, if there is no resurrection, you are simply wasting your time, money, and energy on a nice, sentimental, but ultimately meaningless and worthless tradition. And that is because the resurrection of, the G of Jesus of Nazareth is either the greatest hoax the human mind has ever conceived or it is the most significant event in human history. And there isn't a whole lot of middle ground between those two views. And so you might be here this morning with some real doubts about this claim that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's totally understandable because the idea that dead people stay dead is pretty ingrained in our culture. Right? But God actually, this is the good news, invites us, skeptics, believers, followers, to examine and investigate the claims of the empty tomb. It means that you don't have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. Despite popular opinion that says the resurrection was merely a myth or a legend that evolved over time, and despite critics who argue that the resurrection of Jesus is a hoax or a conspiracy, 
my hope today is to show you that the Christian belief in the resurrection of Jesus is intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually worthy of your consideration and trust. And so what we want to do is talk about two things. One, talk about why we believe that the resurrection is true. And then secondly, what that means for us today. So let's begin with why we believe that the resurrection is true. And again, this is not supposed to be exhaustive. The point isn't to overwhelm you with logical reasoning as much as to provide some clues for us to consider this whole thing, this whole Jesus thing, and to start a conversation. So four clues as to why we believe the resurrection is true. Uh, number one, first clue if you're taking notes, really none of the disciples of Jesus expected the resurrection to actually happen. When you read through the gospel accounts, what you don't find is the disciples running to Jesus' tomb on Easter morning, waiting with anticipation for Jesus to rise from the dead. Instead, what you find is they ran. They hid for their lives in fear. They lost faith. They lost hope. Like, they abandoned the cause. And when his followers heard that the stone that was guarding the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away, their first thought wasn't, oh, Jesus must be risen from the dead. That's not what they thought. They thought, what happened? Where's his body? Did somebody steal it? Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. And I think we can understand this. Like, let me just give you a modern illustration of what it kind of felt like. Often when I travel, I fly out of uh, Detroit Metro Airport, and I park my car in the green parking lot. And if you've ever been, ever been there, the parking lot is just huge, and they give you like little letters and numbers to remember where you parked. Well, the last time I was there, I, I pulled in and parked my car. I drive like this 15-year-old Toyota Corolla, and I go off on my trip. When I come back, and let me know if this has ever happened to you, you're like, oh, darn it, where did I park my car? Oh, yeah, and you're riding the shuttle, and you're like, hey, what, where's your car parked? I think it was A2. They drive over there, and the last time this happened, they drove there, and I said, yeah, it's right next to the bus station, right in A2. We get there, and instead of seeing my white Toyota Corolla, I see this car there. (laughs) And my first thought isn't, great, my car's been raised from the dead, right? (laughs) I mean, that would be awesome. But I go, whoa, 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 maybe this isn't the right parking spot. Oh, you know what? Maybe it was A3. Yeah, go to A3. The bus driver takes me there, and right next to the bus station, it's empty. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I think somebody stole my car, right? Does that ever happen to you? You're like, and I'm like, that's, that's what the disciples were thinking. They weren't thinking like, oh, Jesus must have risen from the dead. They thought, what? Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Maybe somebody stole their body. So none of the disciples expected the resurrection to happen, right? Uh, So if you're inventing this religion called Christianity, it would have been a much better story to present it something like this. After Jesus had died, all of his faithful disciples gathered together outside his tomb, waiting with bated breath for the resurrection of the Messiah. They had such incredible faith that Jesus had, like Jesus had promised, that by the power of God that he would be raised from the dead. And so at the crack of dawn on Easter Sunday morning, smoke began to fill the tomb as a deep rumbling was felt. And all the disciples were there, champagne in one hand, party blower in the other, as they waited for the ball to drop, and they were counting down, 10, 
nine, eight. All of a sudden, all the Roman soldiers are fleeing and running away. Three, two, one, he's risen, right? That, that would have been a better story. But there's nothing like that. Instead, everybody went home because nobody expected the resurrection to happen, not even his closest followers. So once Jesus died, everybody assumed that Jesus would stay dead. Here's another clue. The story of uh, the resurrection story also includes really embarrassing details. Now, if you know the story in in some accounts of the Gospels, who were the first people who uh, had seen the risen Jesus? Anybody? It was women. Now, uh, uh, women, we know how much you rock. Right, men? Yeah, we know how much you rock. They were still learning that back then. They were. I mean, culturally, and here's the thing. If you were inventing a religion, the last people that you would have to be the first eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus would have been women. You know why? Because back then, they didn't allow women to testify in the court of law because they were thought to be just inherently untrustworthy. And not only that, if you were a man inventing this whole thing, you would not want the women being told by, by an angel to go find you, the men, because you were too scared and hiding and, and, and being like cowardly to go and tell you that Jesus had actually risen from the dead, right? But in the gospel accounts, the men, the disciples of Jesus are consistently portrayed as scared, cowardly doubters. If you wanted your claim to, be, to carry any kind of credibility, you would never make yourself look this bad, right, as the disciples look in the gospel accounts. If you were just making this all up, you would simply do a better job. Clue number three, the resurrection story also includes some very specific details. For example, the gospel accounts mentions a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who let the disciples use, his to, use the tomb to bury Jesus. Here's the thing. You don't name specific people and places if it didn't really happen, right? Now, I want to see a show of hands here, but how many of you have ever, growing up, lied to your parents? Let me see. Yeah, most of you, right? Come on, those of you who aren't raising your hands are lying right now. (laughs) You're lying to your pastor, okay? In church. What happens when you lie? You keep things as general as possible, right? You don't want to be specific and give your claim. You don't want your claims to be tested, right? So you keep it as vague and as ambiguous as you can. I remember one time uh, when I was in high school, I snuck out of the house to go visit my girlfriend like, at, like at some ungodly hour of the night. And uh, the next morning, I came home, and my parents somehow found out that I, I, was, I, 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 was, I wasn't home. So they asked me, they were like, hey, Sung, uh, where were you last night? I was like, uh, uh, I, I was out. Uh, well, what were you doing? Uh, I was with some friends. Well, which friends? Well, uh, let me see, uh, where'd you go, uh, right? Like, you don't say, I was over at Sally's house and had dinner with her parents unless it's true. 
And the point is this, you can't get away with preaching something this specific in the very same city where it actually happened only a few days after the incident unless it actually happened. And the fact that the Gospels accounts constantly name specific people and places, and you could read it for yourself, indicates that, man, this really must have happened. In fact, the Gospel accounts uh, challenges its readers, go, talk to these people. There are hundreds of eyewitnesses. Talk to them. See if it isn't true. Now, contrast that with some other major religions. Like Mormonism, for example, Joseph Smith, the head of the Mormon church, claims that an angel appeared to him and told him that he would be the head of a new religion. No eyewitnesses. Islam, the prophet Muhammad, claimed that he received a vision from the angel Gabriel while meditating alone in a cave. Again, no eyewitnesses. So there has to be something about this story that includes so many details. That's another clue. And I think the last clue, and I think one of the most powerful clues that we see is that all the disciples of Jesus were completely transformed after the resurrection. From doubters who didn't want, who were afraid to identify with Jesus at all, to becoming bold proclaimers of his death and resurrection. Right? If you think about it, there was nothing to gain for the disciples in in proclaiming the resurrection. There was no money in it. There was no popularity or fame that they would gain. They they wouldn't have gotten more power or status. In fact, they were put to death for this message. And if you read through some traditions and other documents, they they would be sawed in half, they would be boiled in hot oil, they would be speared to death, and they would even be hanged upside down on a cross. Here's the deal. People will die for something that may or may not be really true. But who would die for something that that you just completely fabricate. People just don't do that. And so here's the good news. God, again, invites us to to examine and investigate and explore his claims of the resurrected Son of God. Our faith stands on historical evidence that was witnessed by all kinds of people back then and bears at least much more, I mean, much more than uh, a lot of historical events in history. So I want to challenge you, if you're new here, if you're exploring the faith, if you're a, if you're a seeker or you have doubts, I want, to, I want to invite you to take a few things after service. You'll see these, uh, little, this little red booklet. This is the Gospel of Mark. I would love for you to go home and start reading the words of Jesus and the story of Jesus directly from its source. Take that with you, a compliment of us, and just begin to explore that. There's also a little green booklet called The Real Easter, which will just outline, again, what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus, especially this Easter season. Again, those are for you you to take. Whether you're new or even a regular tender, if you want to pass that on to your friends. Now, again, that wasn't meant to be exhaustive or even to overwhelm you with logic and reason as much as to give you clues. What I want to do is is turn the ship a little bit and talk about, so, okay, so what? I'm not totally convinced, but okay, maybe I should consider this. So what does that mean for us today? And especially for those of you who are already convinced that Jesus is indeed risen from the dead, I want us to think about the implications of this. I want to ask you this question. What does it mean to live as if the tomb were really empty? Because to be honest, there are many times when I live as if the tomb isn't really empty, right? Let me just give you an illustration. Uh, Like last night's game, Michigan versus Loyola, right? 
Yeah. How many of you at halftime was, were just like, oh my goodness, right? I mean, I was sitting there, there's a whole party going on. I was like, leave me alone, don't talk to me. I'm like all, all uptight and stressed, I'm like sighing. I act like everything is hopeless uh, when we're losing. And even in the beginning of the second half, even when we we're winning, I'm acting like I'm afraid that we're gonna, we're gonna like blow the lead. And so the entire game, I'm just like so stressed and I'm like, oh. There are other times when I watch a game where the outcome has already been determined. Imagine going home today and watching a recording of that entire game today, right? Where you know the final score, you know who wins in the end. I've noticed the strange thing. If I'm watching the game and I don't know the outcome, I act one way. But if I'm watching the game and I already know the outcome, I act a completely different way because I know the enemy is already defeated. <laughs> so imagine going home and watching that game today at halftime, right? It's, it's a very different reality. It's not like, oh, can't believe we're down 10 points. It'd be more like, yeah, we're, I know we're down 10 points. I know the score at halftime, but I know who's going to win. It's a whole different reality. If you will allow me to make the parallel, Paul argues that the resurrection was that thing that changed the community of disciples from a fearful, small, insecure group of people who, who were oppressed by the Roman Empire to become people now who are willing to stand up and be martyred for their faith. To live as if the tomb were empty means to go and tell others with the confidence, with a bold proclamation that not only are the things of this world never gonna satisfy you, but this world isn't all there is to life. But how often do you and I not live that way? Now, I know we all know this, right, if you've been coming to church, but reflect a moment of how this reality reflects in your life. So for example, as a guy, I'm not afraid of many common things that people are afraid of, right? You think of like uh, snakes or spiders or clowns or heights, right? I put up this macho front like, oh yeah, the higher the better. Oh yeah, snakes, no, no problem. But there are, in all honesty, some deeper fears that make me live as if the tomb weren't empty. So for example, here are some things that, that are deeper fears. I fear giving up control of my life. Uh, I fear being blindsided or taken advantage of. I fear dying suddenly and tragically in an accident and leaving my family behind. For each and every one of us, lurking in the background of our lives is some deeper fear that goes down into the caverns of our hearts. Now the resurrection isn't something that removes fear, but instead it is something that allows fear to be carried with hope. Which is why the words of Paul later on in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, death, our final enemy, has been defeated. Death has lost its sting and it has been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. And imagine what those words would have meant for those first century Christians who were, who were confronted with martyrdom. 
if it was anything else other than the resurrection that gave the early church such courage and hope that they could sing songs of praise as they were being eaten alive by lions in the Roman Colosseum. They faced death without fear. Not because Jesus made them feel good, not because Jesus made them rich, it was because Jesus had risen from the dead. And because of that, everything was different for them. And I think for us, we have to remember that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what it means. The outcome of your life has already been determined. The final enemy is already defeated. No matter what the score is in your life right now at halftime, you know the final score. You know who's going to win in the end. And that doesn't mean we don't suffer. It doesn't mean that we never experience fear. It simply means that those things don't define us anymore. And if death is the worst thing that this world can happen to us, then the resurrection of Jesus simply says, okay, is that all you've got? But we don't really believe this sometimes, do we? Even as Christians, right? It sounds good in theory, but imagine how fearless how dangerously, in the best sense of the term, we, how dangerous we would be if we actually believed and lived as if the tomb were empty. And so my challenge to you today is this, to consider this question. If the resurrection actually did happen, then what kind of response does it demand from you and I? I think it demands that you and I become a people who are no longer tethered to fear, afraid of losing the things of this world, people who become now radically abandoned to Christ and his cause, if Jesus indeed has been risen from the dead, I think we should gradually become a people defined by courage and hope. Now that doesn't happen all at once, but today we can take a step in that direction as we place our trust in him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me? And as you do that, ask yourself this question. How would you live different in light of the fact that the tomb is empty? So God, we invite you in the process of making us the kinds of people who are defined by your life, death, and resurrection. Today, we want to be a people who believe that abundant and eternal life is found in you alone. So God, we invite you into our lives to turn our life around, to make it new, to give us a new identity that comes from being found in you. And so God, we want to see those things that we're most afraid of in this life to fade away. And we want you to become greater and stronger in our lives. And so, God, we surrender to you once again, and we celebrate this day, your resurrection and your victory from the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.